Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. You may be seated. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. For the next few moments, My two favorite things, Bible and food. I hope you had a little bit of breakfast and that this isn't too painful for you, but if it is, homilies are usually just 10 minutes long, donuts are in your future, we'll all make it out okay. Now there are parts of the Bible that are meat. For my family, meat is the centerpiece of the meal. It's the gospel, it's the good news. This metaphor was affirmed for me when I first had the Holy Smoker salmon. That was good news. (laughs) And with the meat, we have fatty bits that are hard to chew, that we wish we could just kind of cut away, but they give a depth of flavor and we're orthodox, so we keep the fatty bits too. And with the meat, we've got starches, the texts that are filling, that tell us the history of God's people and God's relationship with them. And when we're called and whipped up with a little bit of butter. They remind us of who we are and where we've been and why we're here. Then there's vegetables, the parts that are good for us to hear but that we don't like, (laughs) the thorn in our side, if you will. And finally, there's dessert, the sweet promise of what's to come, resurrection, new life. We have this full meal with the Bible, with foods that we like and keep coming back to and those that we don't like and that we wish weren't on the plate to begin with. We have texts that we sink our teeth into and chew on and wrestle with. And then we have texts that we don't need teeth to eat at all. The milk of the Bible, simple, nourishing, what we ask for in the night when we can't sleep. Psalm 23 is one of those texts. Psalm 23 is milk. It's so familiar. You know, we learned it as children. It's probably on a prayer card in your wallet. It's on a poster at St. Francis. It's on that tapestry that your friend of questionable taste bought at Mardell's. It's, it's milk. <laughs> And like me, you might say, I know what milk tastes like. In fact, it hurts my tummy a little bit. And I'm an adult. Pass me judges. Something spicy and exciting. But milk is exactly what I need to be drinking right now. I think I've outgrown it, but I still need it for my bones. So that in my old age, my view isn't just of my feet. We still need milk. As newborns, we looked up at our mothers and we knew what total trust was, what it meant to be satisfied, comforted, restored, provided for, protected. I still need that. I still need milk. The psalm opens with, the Lord is my shepherd. I want for nothing. In this phrase, the psalmist depicts their absolute satisfaction. She wants for nothing. Nothing. She rejects the condition of not enough. It's a condition many of us operate under, that I often operate under. I don't have enough 
time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough money. I am not attractive enough. I am not educated enough. I am not skinny enough. I am not successful enough. I am not enough. We become consumed by efforts to fill ourselves this not enoughness, and it's never enough. It's bottomless because no degree, no procedure, no raise at work or praise from a friend fills us for long. We want more. How do we move away from this anxiety of not enoughness? We find the answer here. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I want for nothing. Okay, what does that mean? How does that help me? What does the Lord as our shepherd mean? It's a familiar phrase, one we often say, and we can't escape seeing it in depictions of Jesus as our shepherd. But what does it mean? Ellen Davis, a biblical scholar who specializes in the psalm, says that the claim, the Lord is my shepherd, is a claim that operates on two levels, the existential and the political. The existential refers to who we are our purpose, our value. It describes the Lord as our shepherd and you and me as sheep, valued yet vulnerable, riddled with fears, fears of not being enough, fears of floundering, of not being on the right path, and fears of being humiliated in the face of opponents. Psalm 23 serves as a balm to those fears. To the fear of floundering, the psalmist says, he leads me in right paths. She affirms that we are being led, that the shepherd knows the way, that our steps are being guided to still waters, and that his name will be glorified by our journey. You do not walk alone, but the Lord walks with you, leading you to life. The fear of humiliation is addressed in the image of God as a host in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This table is one of comfort, and this table is set in the presence of opponents, both external and internal, the voices that say we are not enough, in the presence of the people who look at you and say, not enough. And in the presence of your own thoughts that say, not enough, God looks on you and says, enough. The psalmist goes on, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. God anoints and cleanses away the fear and anxiety of scarcity with a cup that never runs out. This is our milk. You are loved. You are led. You are enough. Yes, this is a psalm of comfort, yet it is also one that demands something from us. It's one of comfort, but not complacency, because the metaphor of the Lord as our shepherd is also a political one. To have the Lord as our shepherd means to have the Lord as our king. For many ancient people, the metaphor of shepherd was often used to describe kings and kingship. The word for scepter in Hebrew is the same word for shepherd's staff. 
We are not merely sheep, but we're citizens of God's kingdom. And we have responsibilities. As citizens, we're to extend ourselves in two directions, toward God and toward neighbor. This picture of the early church that we saw in Acts 2 this morning, it follows Peter's first sermon and shows us how the church supported their preaching with their living. All aspects of the person were being ministered to and cared for. Their mental, relational, physical, and spiritual needs were being met through teaching, fellowship, food, and prayer. For it isn't just individual lives that need to be transformed, but the whole life of the community. And this was a community of care. When a neighbor found themselves in need, they sold their possessions freely. They were not a community that operated out of scarcity. They had enough. This communal sharing practiced in Acts wasn't a requirement to be a believer, but was voluntary. A repeated, caring response to need. They said together, we lack nothing. We have enough. Here's some for you. And as citizens of the house of God, we are to stand against this fear of not enough. The fear of floundering. The fear of humiliation. Honoring God as we testify to God's love and truth and provision. Stanley Hauerwas says, the one advantage of the current political and economic situation is that it clarifies what the church is for. We are to be courageous, standing against abuses of power, attuned to where God is leading, trusting that we are being led to still waters and that his name will be glorified. Psalm 23 is milk. It is familiar, it is comforting, but it also fortifies. It fortifies our dry bones, strengthening us to live upright, courageous in the face of our opponents. We are not to bow before earthly powers, but to submit to a shepherd who gives us enough and knows the way. May we drink this milk and continue our journey for his glory. Amen.